Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to the Film Brits Podcast. I'm your host Trilby, the Helga Hufflepuff of film criticism and instead of doing a whole share the love segment or doing a whole preamble, I just want to dive straight into the topics of today because I've got quite a bit to say. Now for those of you who may not know, there's an American comedian called Harry Kondabolu who did a documentary recently called The Problem with Apu which is really interesting in that it seems to be the very first piece of long form criticism against uh, The Simpsons which is of course it's a show that basically needs no introduction. The Simpsons was a cornerstone of my childhood. It was a, it was something I was completely obsessed with growing up. I uh, have vivid memories of watching essentially the first 10 to 12 years of the program when I was young, when it was uh, broadcast on Channel 4 on BBC 2. Uh, it was it was a, a terrific show once upon a time, and while I think the quality has severely dipped, more on that later, the earlier seasons, particularly the first seven or eight seasons, are just some of the best television I've ever seen. It's subversive, it's funny, it's good for kids and adults. It's it's multi-layered, the comedy is terrific, and I really, really enjoyed watching it growing up. But then what happens when you grow up is that you become an adult and you see the world quite differently. You And what's more interesting in this whole connected digital age is that we're able to hear voices from people who have who have different opinions, who come from different backgrounds, who have different opinions on stuff, and that's absolutely fine. And one of those opinions came from Harry Kondabolu, who did a documentary called The Problem with Apu, which I have watched, and I think it's a really well-balanced piece of criticism. Uh, Harry is a self-professed fan, uh, he's a self-professed fan and lover of The Simpsons. He, lo- he loves the program he finds it really really funny however he has a problem with the show and that is Apuna Hasapina Petalon who in the program is voiced by a white actor who is voiced by a white voice actor Hank Azaria the 50 minute documentary goes through the the history of Apu as a character how the name was actually based off of uh, the Apu trilogy of films and how Hank Azaria Apu was only meant to be a one off convenience store character however during a read through completely unprompted Hank Azaria did this uh, stereotypical Indian actor accent and I think there was uh, some commentary there's some dispute as to the accuracy but the script said it was a stereo like do the most offensive Indian accent possible and that's what Hank Azaria did and over the next few years, Apu became a much more fleshed out character. He had an arranged mal- marriage to Manjula, he had octuplets, he was uh, revealed to be an Indian immigrant, he, he studied to become a doctor in India before moving and becoming a convenience store clerk, and that kind of um, Indian first wave um, immigration experience is more or less accurate, however, many other aspects of Apu's character are just stereotypical, like South Asian. It's a, it's a, it's a stereotype of, of, um, Im- of Indian immigrants and the show is kind of upfront with that and that is quote unquote the problem with Apu and what Harry does he doesn't call for the character to be killed off or he doesn't call for the Simpsons to be boycotted or cancelled or anything like that he essentially is really well he's really well balanced and he's really uh, kind of um, decent about the whole thing where he wants uh, over the course of the, doc- the documentary to have a sit down interview or a talk with Hank Azaria who voices Apu to kind of pick his brain and find out what is going on with the character and what he thinks of it and Hank Azaria over the course of the, doc- the documentary remains aloof he does not respond uh, properly to his request for interview his agent says something uh, like uh, it's kind of a very businessy professional sort of thanks but no thanks approach uh, uh, sort of response 
And one great thing about this interconnected world via Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and documentaries like this is that we can see these characters, see the, a show like The Simpsons that I grew up with and only really knew as a cis white male uh, experience, who kind of uh, viewing it through that lens, are able to view it through a different lens. For example, of uh, Indian comedians in America, people who were who were bullied and abused when they were younger, they were made fun of because they 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 um, when they went into auditions, the people auditioning them asked them to do uh, stereotypical voices like Apu, and Apu was sort of the frame of reference for many uh, American and worldwide viewers for what the Indian experience was, even though it was being informed by entirely white American writers, and how even the Indian character in the show was voiced by another white guy. And the documentary is really well balanced, and he actually preempts a lot of the responses. For example, people say, oh, well, Ap uh, every character in The Simpsons is just a stereotype, you know, that, but that, that's, that's kind of not the point, and he also has a rebuttal to that. Yes, every single, almost every single character in the show is a parody or a stereotype. Like, for example, you've got the, the fat police officer, you've got the fat dad, you've got the overachieving daughter, you've got the troublemaking boy. However, with Apu, because The Simpsons was such a huge cultural phenomenon and because the character and the show were so uh, accessible to a, a huge audience, that was literally the only Indian representation you had in the mainstream. You could go uh, and watch any other show and you would find the stereotypical troublemaker boy, you'd find the overachieving daughter, you'd find the, the, the dumb father figure, the, the police officer, the, uh, the stereotypical Italian chef, for example. You'd find these stereotypes all across the spectrum of entertainment. You'd find variations, you'd find different outlooks and perspectives. If you wanted to see an American Indian's experience in the media, for a long time, the only representation you had was Apu. That was the only thing you had. So saying, oh, well, Groundskeeper Willie is just a stereotypical Scotsman, so if we get rid of Apu, you've got to get a Groundskeeper Willie. That's missing the point, and that's one big thing that I've really noticed with this whole discussion in response to the documentary. Not only just the mean-spirited aspect of it, where people are just uh, harassing Harry and just... Uh, like They're not even watching the documentary. They're not listening to the arguments. And the reason for this is because these people who, have, who take umbrage with the idea, just the idea... Not the argument, the idea of the argument. Um, they're afraid of discussion. They're afraid of actually listening to another perspective. They refuse to even give another, an, another opposing argument the time of day. And I think a part of that is that they f know full well that this guy might have a point. That he might, in his own way, be correct. And that there may be an actual problem with Apu in a way that is unique to all the other characters in The Simpsons and is unique to a particular demographic or subset of the American and worldwide population. He may have a point, but if you hear him out, if you give his argument the time of day, the worst thing possible could happen. You could agree with him. You could think he's right. And if you think he's right on a potentially racist or stereotypical issue, then... A part of your childhood, what you grew up with, what you enjoy, is slightly tainted. And cry me a fucking river, welcome to adulthood. This this uh, this thing you enjoyed growing up is slightly tainted now. Okay, cool, whatever. You can still enjoy it in a way. You can, you can still enjoy something while uh, acknowledging its more problematic elements. And what you do is when the, these criticisms, these legitimate, reasonable criticisms are put forward... The next thing is how do you respond to them? Because you can claim ignorance, you can claim to not know uh, the harm or damage or, or, or the sensitivities of, of other people. You can claim ignorance to all of that in a way. But then once the genie is out of the bottle, how you respond 
is what's important. And The Simpsons did respond in the episode No Good Read Goes Unpunished from season... What season? Season 29. Fucking hell. Season 29 of the 15th episode. Um, and I watched this thing from beginning to end. And the the response to the problem with Apu documentary uh, comes in the B story. Uh, the main story is that Bart uh, discovers uh, Sun Tzu's The Art of War book and he's going to try and manipulate Homer to attend a Minecraft parody convention thing. That's the main story. But the B story is that Marge finds an old book uh, that she uh, that she read when she was a child and she's like, oh, I loved this book growing up so I'm going to get Lisa to read it and, and she'll be able to enjoy it as much as I did growing up. But then she reads the book uh, Marge reads the book to to Lisa and discovers that there's like loads of racism in it. There's stereotypes. There's really anti PC stuff. Basically, uh, there's stereotypical Irish people. There's like uh, there's slave there's slavery. There's like it, there's all of this stuff in the book. And what happens is that Marge goes away and she edits the book uh, and she ed- she edits the book into something that doesn't even resemble anything remotely like convincing to the argument for example the, the book itself it, it it follows this girl who has um, this really rich young girl who has got slaves and she falls in love with a drunk irishman and stuff like that but then when marge edits the book the book opens her edited version the book opens with her supporting horses and net neutrality it's like, what, what are you even doing? What is this thing? And then Marge is like, what am I supposed to do? And then Lisa says, oh, it's hard to say. Some things that were critically acclaimed or lauded are now seen as politically incorrect. Uh, and Marge says, well, some things will be dealt at, um, at a later date, if at all. And then they pan over to a, a photo of Apu saying, don't have a cow. Uh, so this is clearly meant to be like an issue with Apu being stereotyped in The Simpsons. This is a terrible response. It's a terrible, terrible response because it presents a false equivalency which demonstrates either the writers of The Simpsons don't understand the argument or even possibly worse, they do understand it and they're going to misrepresent it and completely not get it and misrepresent what Harry was trying to say with the documentary and what the community was trying to put forward at large. Because the in the context of the show, this is a book that was written decades ago when either Mark was a kid in the 50s or 60s or 70s depending on what timeline the simpsons is going for or maybe even written at the time of say like huckleberry finn or something like that when uh like this was a very very old book that marge just happened to read decades or like a century later as a kid the the actual time span of the book is not um is not put forward because maybe if they did put forward when the book was written you know they might realize that the argument is absolutely terrible but this was a book that existed in its own time, was a one-off book, was uh, filled with very racist allegories and politically incorrect stuff, like quote-unquote politically incorrect stuff. And then Marge rediscovers it decades and decades later and the stuff does not hold up. Uh, the stuff is, is clearly racist and is clearly wrong and should not be supported or condoned and children should not obviously be reading this book whereas the character with Apu is an entirely different scenario Apu was like born uh, for a lack of a better term nearly 30 years ago and the character is still going on this is an ongoing character this is an ongoing portrayal by Hank Azaria this is a constant for nearly 30 years as opposed to a book that was written one time published one time decades or a century ago and exists in its own bubble as a time capsule of its own time whereas the simpsons is just chugging on as business as usual the two don't equate you cannot equate this children's book that marge read decades ago with this um, ongoing character this ongoing debate this ongoing misrepresentation of the indian american experience 
And also, in the context of the episode, this isn't a case of Lisa going, oh, I'm the politically correct character of the show. I take a, I will shout down any naysayers, any racism, any sexism. I, I forbid it, and I demand you, Marge, edit this book. That doesn't happen in the episode. Marge is reading the book, and as she is reading it, she is realizing all of this stuff about the book, and she, she even says, this is not what I remembered as a kid. And Lisa doesn't even get to read the whole thing. Lisa is trying to read the book, because she's wondering what Marge Marge is so upset about. This isn't Lisa's decision. This is Marge. This is Marge essentially looking at her own um, childhood favourite book and enforcing upon herself editing it to show to her daughter. This is so self-defeating. It's why this argument makes no sense in the context of the episode and in context of the larger debate. It's terribly put forward. Marge even has a dream fantasy sequence where she meets Rudyard Kipling, who wrote The Jungle Book, and while they're having a conversation while Marge is saying, oh, this stuff isn't what I remembered it to be, Rudyard Kipling is smoking a pipe, and literally the smoke comes out of the pipe to form a Nazi swastika. Marge is fully aware that the book is wrong. And that her her child should not be reading it. So, in other words, the Simpsons in trying to say, oh, uh, uh, what what can you do? What can you do with this whole politically incorrect thing and things that were once lauded and stuff? Well, first of all, the book itself seems terrible. So, like, we don't know anything about the, the book enough to know that it was maybe critically acclaimed or loved when it first came out. But then even Marge herself acknowledges that, yes, this is something that should not be read. This is something that children should not be reading. This is something that should not be put forward. It's not modern. And somehow tries to equate that with, oh, we'll, we'll deal with Apu later, if at all. There's no issue. It's just politically incorrect stuff. Like, you're, you're defeating your own argument. What the fuck are you doing, writer Jeff Westbrook? There's the Simpsons meme where there's the episode where Principal Skinner is trying to chase Bart in a, a parody of Ferris Bueller's Day Off where he's trying to, um, like, Bart is skipping school and he, he goes to a library or he goes to a museum and he's like, oh, am I really that out of touch? No, it's, it's the children who are wrong. You are Principal Skinner in this moment, Simpsons. You are the ones who are saying, oh, it's the children's fault. It's the children who are stupid. In the episode, in the A story, Bart goes to Tunnelcraft Convention, which is a Minecraft convention. And they're like, oh, there's two Minecraft... Uh, I'll just say Minecraft, because that's basically what it is. There's two Minecraft Let's Players on the stage. Oh, they have great banter. They're so funny. And the banter is essentially these two guys who's on the stage playing Minecraft saying, dig, dig, dig. Go left. Right, go, go left. Go right. Oh, I got the diamond. Okay, dig, dig, dig. And it's, it's presented as this whole, oh, the kids, they're into such weird things nowadays. I don't even fucking play Minecraft or watch Minecraft Let's Play. And even I know that the popular YouTubers or Let's Players or people who play it online on Twitch for a living don't have that interplay. They have actual bands. They have something akin to Game Grumps where the, the, the game is a backdrop where fun and funny things can happen in the game and entertaining things can happen in the game. But the banter between the people and their personalities is what puts it forward. And it's just... It's so funny and so self-defeating to have this whole Minecraft parody that the writers clearly don't understand or get or properly represent in the community. And I don't even have a stake in the game of Minecraft. I don't give a shit. But even, like, they misrepresent that while at the same time trying to go, oh, well, it's hard to say. Let's have some political commentary that we're completely misunderstanding and misrepresenting with a false equivalency. It's a terrible rebuttal. Even worse so than I think many people are giving it credit for. But do you want to know who had the best rebuttal to this? Who had the best response Hank Azaria the guy who voices Apu now when the documentary was being made in 2016 2017 
he did not want to talk to Harry about the issue. But then the documentary comes out, the issue blows up, more voices are being heard from the Indian American community and the like, Indian voices, which is great. And then he finally spoke out on the uh, on the Late Show of Stephen Colbert. He had a great response saying that, yeah, we, it was funny one day, and, and now we think that uh, it may be an issue. And I personally don't mind letting go of the character or maybe transitioning so that somebody else is able to take over the role, that somebody else is able to take over the role of a, of a or phase the character out and that um, I'm willing to have these discussions and that it's fine and that Hank Azaria says that he had no idea about the, the no good read goes unpunished rebuttal the if at all the what can you do um, he he has nothing like he he had nothing to do with the writing of that. He didn't know about that um, that response, and the response he gives is really well thought out. It's really interesting, and then when people are like, "Oh, that he's self censoring," it's he's, he's, it's just the death of comedy. But no, it's Hank Azaria himself. You have this whole movement where people are trying to like claim to be pro free speech. They're cl- they're claiming to be for the creator. For example, oh, I I want creators to be able to say what they want. I want creators to be able to do what they do, make their decisions, cast whoever they want, say whatever they want. I, I want creators to have freedom, and I don't want them to be um, to be um, tied down by these SJWs or these liberals or these college students or uh, feminists and stuff like that. I want creators to be able to do whatever they want. And then a creator says, "Okay, I want to cast a woman as the Doctor in Doctor Who. Uh, Jodie Whittaker is my first choice." Uh, I, it was my creative decision that the next Doctor should be a woman. And then people are complaining, saying, no, shout it down, you can't have a woman. And, okay, what happened to the creative freedom that you wanted to give people? And now they say, oh, we, uh, we don't want the Simpsons to be censored. We don't want the Simpsons to, to bow down to these SJWs. And then Hank Azaria, Apu himself, says, yeah, maybe we need to reconsider this. Maybe we need to think of this. And they say, no, shut up, Hank Azaria, you don't know our comedy is dead. It's it's a, it's hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy, be- and these people clearly have an agenda. I have an agenda as well that maybe we should listen to each other. Maybe if you re if you read up on the problem with Apu or you watch the documentary, if you if you watch the documentary and you walk away from it thinking my mind has not been changed, that I think there's nothing wrong with Apu. I think these people need to get over it, or these people need to just be quiet, and the Simpsons should be able to do what they want. I I disagree with that, but that's fair. You watched the documentary. You gave it the time of day. But people who say, oh, I think that there's not an issue with Apu. Okay, did you watch the documentary? No. Well, then you, you, you're not listening to the full argument. You are not giving it the time of day. You're not considering the thoughts or the outlook of another person. And in a way, it's not a balanced discussion. You need to listen to voices in media. It's the discussion. It's an interesting discussion. Regardless of what side you fall on, it's an interesting discussion, and in my opinion, it's a discussion worth having, because Apu is kind of... There's nothing else like Apu, in terms of just this long-running character who, from the beginning, was problematic, and people have gone for, like, for decades, and because they didn't have a, a voice, they didn't have an outlet like the internet and Twitter and such, they couldn't really get their opinions on a, on a wide, a large platform, and now they can. So now people are thinking, oh, the, the, this last two or three years has just been political correctness gone mad, people are too sensitive... In a way, these problems have always been there. 
the, the problem with Apu is not a recent problem. It's been a problem since the character's inception. We only know about the problem now, and that's because of Twitter, Facebook, and online platforms, and Hulu, who did the who distributed the problem with Apu documentary. If you're like me, you watched it illegal on YouTube. I'm sorry, Harry. I'm from the UK. We don't really have Hulu, or we don't we we can't really watch the documentary in the country. So I do apologize. I watched it on YouTube. I'm I'm a terrible human being. But it, it's a it's a discussion worth having. It's a well balanced documentary. And I think if you watch the documentary and give it the time of day or give the argument some thought and then you have a debate and you disagree with it, that is fine and fair enough. But people who are afraid of discussion, who claim to be bastions of free speech, who don't who don't want censorship, who want to listen to everybody and want people to be able to say what they want. Ironically, it's these people who are trying to shut the discussion down by not having it, by just trying to take trying to cut the discussion off at the impasse, trying to cut it off before it can grow and spread into something potentially really worthwhile and something constructive and yeah i think in, what would i do with apu i don't really have a stake in this game i i, I kind of get angry at the principle of the people who are like more or less the naysayers who are so hypocritical about creators about being allowed to create and things like that um but it's more the idea i, I think that with apu you retire the character completely i mean bring in a new character who could look after the quickie mart and maybe have an indian american voice in the writer's room because the simpsons writer's room is essentially just all white guys and if you're going to be wanting to expand your cast if you're going to want to be talking about different outlooks of america or of society and culture it would help to have those ideas informed and have the uh, like have someone who actually knows about it in that writer's room because I, i know you could say oh it's just a token hire but if you i work in the media industry there's no such thing as a token hire there are um programs and there are agencies out there that try and get more women and disabled and lgbts and other uh minorities or like non-white non-cis and things like that try and get these people in the industry but they're not token hires because what they do they do vet them they do interview them they do make sure they can do the job because media is expensive to make it's a massive collaborative effort so you can't just be like, okay, here's a crew of 50 people, 50 really well, well-rounded, experienced people. Are we just going to throw in uh, a, a white uh, disabled woman and just throw her in the deep end? And just, we just need to have that quota. Let's just throw her in this environment. No, you've got to make sure that she can do the job, that she is equipped, she is qualified, and she is knowledgeable, she is willing to learn, and that she can do the job. Because a lot of the media industry is just common sense in a way. Uh, so you just you don't just throw her in there you interview her you train her you talk to her you make sure she is well equipped so that she is not just a token hire and people who say oh they're just token hires they don't know anything about the industry trust me i know about the industry okay and i've only been working in in the industry for a couple of years in the uk tv and film industry and i already know that it's listening to different voices it's listening to different outlets and perspectives and having that discussion and yeah that's that's all i have to say about it i i rambled on for about 20 minutes but yeah the the problem with apu it is a problem it does need addressing the simpsons rebuttal to it was basically objectively terrible uh harry's documentary is well balanced and well researched and well managed and i really recommend you take a look at it and i loved hank azaria's um like well balanced rebuttal 
Uh, this podcast is going to be shorter than a normal one, mainly because I just wanted to basically dedicate an entire video to this topic. But while I'm here, I am also going to do the lightning round, where basically I um, do a question from my Facebook page and I answer it in less than one minute. So I put the post up now. I'm seeing the post in front of me. Countdown timer, three, two, one, go. Um, Daniel Shipley says, what one film could do- could turn the DCEU around? It's hard to say. Uh, looking at the upcoming slates, I'm hearing good things about Aquaman's early screenings. That could be a good one. It's going to be the standalone films. Justice League was the lowest grossing film of the DCEU, I think domestically or worldwide. It's one or the other, but either way, it's not good. Their big, massive team-up movie that was meant to be the, the slam dunk, their home run, was not a success. So it will not be the Justice League, League brand. It will be a character like Wonder Woman. It will be a character like maybe Batgirl or Aquaman. It will be a standalone movie that everyone loves, that has a great tease for the next film or the next character, and then they build on it from there. You, it's Batman is kind of being run ragged at the moment, so it, it's probably not going to be Batman or Superman. It is going to be a new character or a character who has not had much movie representation, like Wonder Woman in Wonder Woman 2 or Aquaman. It's going to be one of those standalone stories that will ultimately save the DCEU, in my opinion. Uh, next question, three, two, one, go. Uh, John Bridgewater asks, do you think superheroes have a large franchise fatigue and would you like to see them go away in a few years' time for a while? Uh, I don't think there's such thing as fatigue because uh, back in the day, like hundreds of westerns were being released every single year and that franch- and that uh, genre lasted quite a long time and we're not even close to that, po- that point of saturation. We're lucky if we get about 20 super- <laughs> 15 to 20 superhero movies a year. But if we have bomb after bomb after bomb, then that's when we get the franchise fatigue. But as, as long as the films are inventive enough, uh, inventive enough, uh, I'm stumbling over my words, inventive enough as long as they're changing the genres, like Ant-Man was a heist film, Deadpool is a, is a raunchy R-rated comedy. Uh, Infinity War is a globe and space hopping adventure downer movie. Uh, Logan was a western. As long as the different studios and the different franchises keep on mixing things up, we're not going to have fatigue. If it's just blockbuster after blockbuster after blockbuster, maybe so. But at this point, I don't think we're going to be reaching fatigue. I I already have Avatar fatigue. We've only had one film, so uh, that's what happens when you're quite derivative. Uh, next question, three, two, one, go. It comes from Dean Jones, favorite MCU villain as of Infinity War. Without getting into spoilers, I think it may be Thanos. I think the the wait has been worth it. Seeing this character get up out of his chair in 2012 to seeing him finally go around the universe in 2018 getting the Infinity Stones. I think this character is so well-rounded and fleshed out. And I'm not going to spoil anything, but the idea of a, of a villain who thinks he's a hero and has conviction, who thinks that he is the only person who can save the universe and he's going to do whatever it takes to do it, and the and the fact that he does have feelings he he has feelings he he does have emotions he he has things that he loves that he does not want to let go of it's so profound in a way and i can't wait to see what happens in infinity war part 2 how they continue to flesh out the character and josh josh brolin's motion capture and voice performance is pitch perfect i love loki i love killmonger but as of right now uh thanos takes the cake so next question uh, 3 2 1 go uh, jo- uh, Joseph Limber says, favorite band you discovered from a movie slash TV show? Mine is the Mountain Goats. I don't know if I've actually discovered a band through a, a movie or a TV show. Um, I know that like the first time I heard Queen was by watching Shaun of the Dead. Yes, I got to that band pretty late. But I wouldn't say it was because of Shaun of the Dead that I love Queen. Uh, honestly, I, I don't really have any like, bands that I discovered from a movie slash TV show. I'm not sure. Um, I... 
I, I do like watching some like concert documentaries, like uh, Michael Jackson's "This Is It" is a terrific one. Uh, there's the Metallica uh, "Through the Never," "Through the Never," I think that's what it's called. That's a really interesting one as well. But I, as for favorite bands that I discover from a movie slash TV show, I don't really have any. I'm afraid. I'm sorry to disappoint. Next question: Three, two, one, go. Um, Virgin Asgadel Moen. I butchered that name. Are the Marvel movies getting too focused on the humor? No, they're not. The DCEU is, when it doesn't focus on humour, I find it hard to engage. And that's not me saying I need light, fluffy material. I need these characters to go through emotions. I need... If Batman is so fucking miserable all the time, it's kind of hard for him to go through such an arc. You need to have that levity. Also, if you have a really dramatic moment, sometimes a bit of levity helps to give the audience a bit of a release. But humour humanises people. It allows people to relate to them. One reason why the ending of Infinity War is so devastating is because these are characters who you really love and empathise with and you've been through their struggles but also their high points and their low points and how Iron Man has gone through PTSD in in Iron Man 3 but one reason that's so hard to watch is because he is such a light-hearted and snarky character so he's gone through an arc, he's gone through a change. I, I, while I think films like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 do not balance the drama and the humour as well as Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 I think it's still a really effective drama, and a lot of people were really touched by that movie, so I don't think that's the case at all. Uh, next question, three, two, one, go. Dominic Howard asks, overall thoughts on on Infinity War? Um, I only saw it the other night, I went to a midnight screening, but I thought it was terrific. I thought it was a great, uh, great blockbuster movie. Its scope and canvas is massive, and it may seem like we're watching four... Uh, short films back after uh, intercut with each other because of how separate the narratives are and some of the segments go on for a little bit too long like um there was um what minor spoiler but the avengers and the groups get they get split up into different parts and thor goes off with rocket raccoon and groot in order to find a new like get a new hammer get a new weapon to to try and take down thanos and there's like a half hour stretch where they are completely absent from the film and after about 20 minutes, I was thinking, shouldn't we be cutting from the, this stuff in Wakanda? Shouldn't we be finding out what Thor is doing at this moment? Uh, I think the pacing could have been a bit like better in that regard. And there's also a few scenes in the trailer that are not in the movie. Like the scene with um, Mark Ruffalo and Scarlett Johansson as uh, Bruce Banner and Black Widow. And they, the uh, Hulkbuster arm is there and they're clearly having a conversation. That's not in the movie. And that's its absence is felt. And also the Hulkbuster suit, because that, that scene is not there, it comes out of nowhere. But apart from that, I loved the film. I'll go more spoilerific in a future podcast. Next question, three, two, one, go. Tom Bowen says, nearly seven years after the announcement of a David Yates-directed film, do you think uh, a Doctor Who should still happen in the future and who should direct it? I'm assuming you mean Doctor Who movie. A David Yates-directed film? I don't even remember that happening. Was that a thing? David Yates, Doctor Who. Was that a thing? Doctor Who movie not happening in 2015. That was the, uh, there were plans for David Yates to direct a Doctor Who movie in 2011. Blimey. Um, yeah, that did happen. Um, if they did one, it would have to be standalone. It would have to be a standalone story that could completely exist on its own, but also for fans could slot into the bigger narrative. I'm planning on making a Mr. Tyler's Reviews video about this. Uh, maybe do a pitch for the Time War. Like the very beginning of the Time War. Have a Paul McGann or Paul McGann-esque Doctor. Maybe bring in Susan at the beginning of the Time War. Make it a war movie or uh, a drama about someone going to war. About conscription and something like that. That's the story I would tell. Where it slots into the Doctor universe but it tells a great human standalone story ironically. Even though it's you know, two hearts and such. But great question and I will delve upon it uh, at a later date. Next question. 3, 2, 1, go. 
Uh, Dominic Miller says, how do you think the MCU will rebalance the stakes during and beyond Avengers 4, given the, given the devastation caused in Infinity War and the guarantee that at least some of it will be undone come next year? Um, skip ahead uh, 45 seconds from now if you don't want spoilers. Uh, how will they rebalance the stakes? I'm assuming all the characters who died pre-click are dead forever. I won't name names just in case. Um, but afterwards, there are characters who have gone who we know will get sequels. Uh, who whose slate has been announced i'm trying not to avoid i'm trying not to get into specifics in case people can't or don't want to skip but yeah there are some characters who who have died who we know are getting sequels so they're going to come back so i am assuming some of it is going to be reversed but hopefully not all of it uh, i hope that there will be some legacy characters or there will be the ones who survived sacrifice themselves to bring the others back that could be an alternative it's anyone's game the ballpark is open I, i'm not sure what it's going to be like but it'll be in- interesting to find out it's been 45 seconds. Next question. 3, 2, 1, go. Um, Robert Ellis. Favourite of all Marvel hero movies? Of Out of all of them? Either Avengers, Spider-Man 2, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2. Or... Uh, blimey. It, it, there's so, been so many great ones. I love X-Men Days of Future Past as well. I think that's a terrific one. So yeah, probably those three. I'm gonna let's let's name one from each studio. So like Fox and Sony and and Disney Marvel. So those are my favorite three. But Avengers is just such a well polished and tightly honed blockbuster. Spider Man Two is one of the greatest like <laughs> movies, like action movies ever made. And the train sequence is phenomenal. I love the characters. I love the tone. The villains amazing as well. It is 2004, so some elements of it have dated somewhat, but the actual principle of it, the like the everything it got right at the time still holds up for the most part and i absolutely love it and days of future past it's a really profound movie great performances i love james mcavoy in that film and ian mckellen and patrick stewart are kind of giving their characters a send-off and this was pre-logan really great stuff i i love those three next question three two one go lewis carter says are there any film actors you think are underrated or deserve more praise um, I want to see Tobey Maguire act in more films. He's kind of gone off the radar a little bit. Um, just looking at my DVD collection to my right, trying to get some inspiration. Uh, Melissa McCarthy, uh, need, uh, she deserves more credit. If, you, if you've seen her in Spy, you'll know that she's way more than just a, a, a fat lady fell down comedian. She's really well, um, she's a well-balanced comedian. She's got a lot of range. She's really funny as both the, the whole meek and um, and unassuming like large lady and also as like a badass, sweary, shouty lady. And her short Sean Spicer in SNL is absolutely fantastic. Um, who else have we got? Uh, Ryan Reynolds. I'm looking at Buried on my shelf. He's a, an amazing dramatic performer, even though he's mostly known for his comedies. If you've not seen Buried, I highly recommend you see that. Uh, what else have we got on the shelf? Simon Pegg. I'm looking at Shaun of the Dead. If you've seen The World's End, you know he can just nail drama. He's great in that. I, I want him in more roles in, in everything ever, uh, preferably. Uh, next question. Three, two, one, go. Uh, David Banks says favorite Benedict Cumberbatch film role. Um, I'd need to get a reminder of his filmography. Um, he's great as Doctor Strange. He's amazing in the Imitation Game. Um, he has a kind of small role in Twelve Years a Slave. I won't count that. I never saw the Current War because I think that was a Weinstein movie that kind of got buried after um, after the whole Weinstein scandal and things like that. I, I could be completely wrong there. But yeah, that was a film that's apparently not meant to be very good. I need to check that out. He's also going to be voicing Shere Khan in the Andy Serkis Mowgli movie. Um, what is he in? Um, he's amazing as Smaug the Dragon in the Hobbit movies. He's um, 
not that good in the fifth estate or uh, in star trek into darkness i'm gonna go for the imitation game it is his cliche oscar role but it, it's a terrific performance but i do love him as dr strange and in infinity war he really shines i didn't expect dr strange to get the amount of screen time that he did get but i'm grateful he got it next question three two one go joel newton says what do you think is the saddest movie scene oh boy um the beginning of up is heartbreaking um there are some scenes that have made me cry but it's not necessarily because of how sad they are like the ending of toy story 3 makes me cry but it's not a sad ending if that makes sense but there's the beginning of up um there's johnny got his gun which is not so much sad as it is harrowing and traumatizing that's uh that's a very that's a depressing uh role as well um I'm not sure. Uh, there's so much to pick from. Uh, there's, <laughs> yeah, th- this is going to end the podcast on a bit of a whimper, really. But I'm going to go for the beginning of up, even though I'm certain that there's even that, that there's more better choices. But uh, in the comment section below, let me know what your like saddest movie scenes are. You folks will have more time to think about it than I will, so you'll have a bit of an advantage. But that's all uh, this week on the Film Brits podcast. Uh, thank you so much for listening and hearing me rant about Apu and uh, do the the uh, listener questions as my voice gives out, as it normally does when I do these questions back to back to back without much room for pause. But thank you so much for listening to the Film Bits Podcast. Be sure to subscribe uh, on YouTube and on iTunes if uh, if you would like to listen to these podcasts on the go. I also have a SoundCloud. The Movie Mania Podcast is returning next week. We are going. Uh, we're going to do a live stream. It's going to be. Let me double check the date. Um, movie. I've got to double check the date. I think it's like two a.m. Uh, UK London time on either Monday morning or Tuesday morning. I need to double check that. But uh, subscribe to Bandit Incorporated or like, check out his channel because th- then you'll be notified of when that happens or at least keep an up uh, keep an eye on our social media feeds like you know bandit incorporated podcast media trade from podcast media and also trouble reviews uh, at twitter and on facebook and i'll i'll post links to them so that you can find out when it's happening or when it goes live so uh, be sure to do that if you'd like to listen to uh, us talk live um, about infinity war and just have incredible banter as we normally do um and also be sure to uh, support uh, this podcast via patreon www.patreon.com forward slash trilby that's t-r-i-l-b-e-e Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you folks next time.